All right, faithful listeners, welcome back to Around with Stephen Cole. I, as always, am your host, Steve Yamada. Hi, everybody. This is T. Cole Newton, your co-host. We're coming to you pre-recorded from 12 Mile Limit on the first ever day of our newly expanded weekday lunch hours. So the bar is currently open while we do this podcast. It's a little bit bizarre. I feel like uh, there's kind of a voyeuristic thing happening right now. It's like uh, people are judging me while I'm saying this as opposed to in their living rooms when I can't see them judging me. Well, we've got a couple of guests today. We have Mr. Jonathan Schock and Ms. Basil Zarinsky. Basil Zarinsky? Basil, Basil Zarinsky. I've been doing that wrong for like five years Basil. now. But it's, it's partially my fault I stopped correcting people years ago. <laughs> Basil, like from Faulty Towers, right? That's the namesake? No, okay. And the, we're, we're doing an episode today uh, in part advertising our new lunch hours, 10 to 2 on Thursday and Friday, uh, but also... Because Jonathan and Basil are leaving New Orleans. And to a lot of people, that's such a strange idea. So Steve and I, none of us are local uh, by birth. We're all locals by choice or have been. And Steve and I were, we have Basil and, and Jonathan are leaving close enough to each other. They're not leaving together, um, but they're leaving at the same time. And we wanted to explore the idea of the kind of things that draw people to the city of New Orleans and the kind of things that push people away. So we're going to we're going to have a little bit more of a somber discussion today than some of our past episodes. Yeah, I think um these are definitely topics I'd like to look into a little bit more. Um mainly because everybody at the moment is really looking at New Orleans as a place to move to. Um especially people in primary markets in, you know, Chicago and LA and New York, the three places I'd name every single time we talk about big <laughs> cities. Um we always talk about, like, we, we don't always talk about, but there's always this talk of people. It's like, you know, I want to move to a smaller place. New Orleans is usually higher on that list at this point. With the economic growth and development inside of New Orleans at the moment, um, with the cost of living going up as well, um, with, you know, job satisfaction, all these other factors playing into account, um, we talk a lot about people coming down here. We don't talk about the people who are leaving. In this case, this is uh, very personal to me. I've known Basil for many years. I've known Jonathan Schock over here for many years as well. I consider you both very good friends of mine. Um, and it, it's, it hurts. It does hurt a little bit to see you guys leave. I know what precious resources you guys are as bartenders to the city. And, um, you know, you, you will be missed. And I think, I think, I hope, I hope people have made that very clear to you. Me personally, I, I can't speak for Cole. Maybe he doesn't like you guys. I hate much you as both. I do, yeah. so. um, we hate you too, Cole. Uh, anywho, uh, we have a tendency to ramble. Let's throw it over. Uh, let's start over with, uh, Jonathan Schock. Why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself to the crowd? Yeah. Hey, I'm, uh, Jonathan Schock. I currently bartend at Compare Le Pen for another week or so, and then I am moving to Detroit. What brought you to New Orleans originally, and how long ago was that? Yeah, that's actually a good question. I was actually kind of thinking about that for for everybody, uh, you know, relatively briefly. But yeah, I mean, I moved to New Orleans from Seattle uh, about six years ago. It's a little weird for me because I spent like the first three years on the North Shore, so a little bit more of the suburbs, but would, you know, come into the city very frequently and uh, worked in the area. And then I moved down to New Orleans proper uh, three years ago. And uh, yeah, my parents had moved down to the uh, area from Seattle and I ended up following them a couple years later because I'd been to New Orleans before Katrina and had come and visited them uh, when they lived down here as well and just, you know, really fell in love with the city like most people do, so... Right on. Basil, how about you? Um, so I moved here about six years ago. Um, before here, I was in New Mexico briefly. Before that, I was in San Francisco. Um, and I, you know, 
like everyone else, just fell in love with it. I fell in love with the really rich culture and history, the music scene, and obviously the like growing nightlife scene. Right on. What would you say is, uh, let's start with Basil on this question. What would you say are your first memory? What is, what is, I feel like when somebody moves someplace or when somebody becomes attached to something, there's kind of a, a hook that's involved. There's something that kind of hooks you. What would you say was the thing that hooked you with New Orleans? What, what sensual experience was the first thing to say, like, oh, you know what, this place is someplace that I want to live in? I'd kind of had a romanticized vision of New Orleans in my head before even coming here for the first time. So I was kind of expecting it to be magical, but it was, I think, magical in a way that I didn't even um, imagine. But just the the incredibly warm welcome of strangers in the streets, especially coming from San Francisco, that's not something that exists there. Like you say something to people in the street, they think you're probably asking them for money or you're going to attack them in some way. <laughs> um, <laughs> but we were walking, walking through the French quarter when visiting here the first time. And, uh, this random guy comes up to us and he's just, just talking, saying all sorts of random stuff. And he's like, you guys are locals, right? I'm like, no, no. And we're just visiting. He's like, shit, man, you guys ain't locals. I don't know what a local is. <laughs> I think that That's was kind awesome. of the moment that was just like, yeah, this place feels right. I think there's like two crowds of uh, New Orleans locals as well. There's some people who are like, it doesn't matter how long you live here. You could be here for 50 years, but if you weren't born here, like you're never going to be a New Orleanian. And they, they will make that a point to be like, nah, you're not from here. Like they will rub that. You could have you could have lived here every year of your life except for like the first day of your life. <laughs> <laughs> and you will not be a, a New Orleans local to some people. But then there's people like you're talking about, Basil, who like, they're like, oh, you've been here for six months? Nah, you're from here now. And that's, <laughs> that's, that's something really beautiful about New Orleans. I, there, New Orleans does have sort of a reputation for xenophobia to a certain extent. Where it's like, oh, don't come down here and tell us how to live our lives or how to, you know, d there's a bit of a hostility to outsiders, but there's also a very welcoming attitude. And people, a lot of the people that, that are sort of culturally associated with New Orleans, like Tennessee Williams or Drew Brees, just name two very disparate examples, are not from here, but are very much like a, a real part of the city in a meaningful way. So it's very much possible to move here and to become like an integral part of the community. And as long as you win a Super Bowl. <laughs> I mean, that, yeah, be, winning a... Did Tennessee Williams win a Super Bowl? Did I that <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> MVP that year. <laughs> I think it also has to do with how much you embrace the local culture when moving here. There are people who move here for the same... There are people who move here because New Orleans has that magical lure, that gravity that people are drawn to, that, that people who love the culture. And there are people who move here for the same reason they move anywhere else, because they got a job, because there's an economic opportunity exactly. for them. And a lot of those people seem to want to... And the, the pushback against it seems to be that they want to change New Orleans to look more like the cities that they're moving from. So a lot of people who do move here from the Bay Area want, it's like, and a lot of the things that they're pushing is like, oh, why isn't there curbside glass recycling? Why aren't there more healthy dining options? But Kalegate. Uh, Kalegate. <laughs> yeah, that, that was fun. Um, but the, there is, there is sort of a perceived attitude. It's like, why did you move here to begin with if you just want to change it to every other city in the country? Right. So, um, I really like uh, kind of your path, your New Orleans living path, Jonathan, because it's not the typical, like, you moved straight to the Bywater Marini and, like, you know, just dove straight in. I think that, why don't you tell us about your experiences uh, moving to the area and how you kind of um, 
found yourself, you know, moving to New Orleans. I, I'm think I'm considering that was probably kind of a goal to end up and work in New Orleans, right? Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, I the reason I moved to the North Shore is because that's where my parents lived, and I came down here just you know in a car and uh, lived with them for the first uh, year or two while I kind of got uh, established. And I mean, it you know took me a while. I started as a uh, server at Zia. It was my first job <laughs> awesome. uh, in the New Orleans area, uh, and quickly advanced to bartender no big deal uh but <laughs> also uh this is new orleans is where i really got into cocktail bartending i mean i had bartended for uh gosh like six years uh in the seattle area but like you know hotels and you know and especially the places i was working like cocktails just were still kind of coming on as a thing and so when i got uh to the area i just really kind of fell in love with cocktails too and so I ended up uh, working uh, at a job up there that I kind of actually got to run my own cocktail program, and it was literally like the first time I'd ever done anything like that. So it was definitely a great place to advance very quickly and learn stuff in an environment where uh, you not necessarily have to do it in a bunch of the people that you would consider to be your peers, you know what I mean? As in you're kind of just alone in the wilderness to a certain mm-hmm. degree, just kind of figuring out your craft, which is honestly a great way to do it because, you know. In some ways, uh, I definitely didn't have like a mentor or like any sort of like real kind of like direct person that I could go and learn from or talked about what I was learning with, but I was able to just like figure it out on my own without people like laughing at the way that I, you know, held a jigger or whatever. So, right. I can definitely relate with that. I've talked about it on this podcast before, but my first experience with craft cocktail bartending was just that I enjoyed going to craft cocktail bars. I came back to New Orleans, quit my corporate job. And uh, decided to try and start a cocktail program at a po'boy shop. And I, I just had to make a lot of assumptions and try to teach myself a lot of things. And I think that goes into this whole mentorship thing. So being um, on the North Shore as well, smaller market, um, probably lacking some of the resources that you would expect to have in like larger cities to really kind of reinforce a craft cocktail program. What were some of the challenges working up there? Um, for me, I mean, the people there are... Uh, incredibly nice, uh, but also, you know, it's a little bit of an older crowd who's a little bit more like set in their ways is that, you know, they want a, you know, they want Crown Royal and they want Bud Light. And, you know, in, in some places there's an opportunity to be like, oh, well, if you like Crown Royal, then you should try this other Canadian whiskey that's interesting, or you should try regular, you know, bourbon, you know, and kind of like use that as like an access point to try to like teach people, you know, other things. And in that area, it's, it's very much just, uh, you know, they definitely enjoyed the idea of cocktails and it was kind of interesting to see people kind of come around on that. But, you know, it's definitely just, uh, yeah, you know, people who were basically kind of learning about those things for the first time. So it's like, you know, you put St. Germain in a cocktail for someone and, you know, they are completely uh, wowed, mind, mind which is blown. Yeah, which is actually like a really cool <laughs> and exciting yeah. thing. You know what I mean? But, you know, it, it does also mean that, you know, at a certain point, like you, you know, want to start playing around with bitter cocktails and, you know, you, you kind of start to leave people behind a little bit, right. you know. Would you consider there was a certain glass ceiling there? Um, yeah, I mean, I would say that it's definitely a place that I basically at one point just kind of felt like I reached the most that I could achieve from that experience. And that's why I moved down here. Um, I was actually like managing a bar program at a hotel and, you know, was making, you know, good amount of money hourly and things like that. But ultimately I just wasn't, uh, creatively and just didn't feel like I was growing in the position anymore that I was just, you know, basically, uh, you know, running everything on repeat. So cool. Right on. All right, Biz, let's throw it back to you. So what were your uh, initial work experiences like here in New Orleans? 
So I moved here in September, which I'm sure you know is a particularly difficult time to find a job <laughs> in the city of New Orleans. It's our middle of our really slow season. So I had, I ended up, I also like, like both of you, did not start, start in cocktail bartending. Um, I had tried to run a little cocktail menu at, uh, the bars I worked at in Albuquerque and no one at the time was drinking cocktails in Albuquerque. I had, you know, maybe five regulars that would come in for, for my various concoctions, some of which are really embarrassing to look back on. Um, but New Orleans was definitely an opportunity for me to learn more about cocktails. Um, so I started working at the Sazerac bar, which was the first job I could find when I got here and definitely learned a bit. Mm-hmm. And you were the only female bartender at that time, yes. weren't you? And I think I might be the, the last, last woman that has worked behind that bar. Yeah, I was going to, I was going to bring that up as well. So I, um, I got to meet you because I was working at Victory down the street, and I yes. remember you had come in, and we kind of hit it off pretty well at the beginning. Um, <laughs> you made some of my favorite uh, drinks I had in the the city that year. I think. Ha <laughs> ha! Look at that! Oh, you guys! <laughs> so, um, I I, uh, I I think that the it, it plays true to what's happening to a lot of people moving down here right now as well. Is that the job market's very interesting? There aren't as many jobs available or the right job for the right personalities, and you kind of take a job. Um, I'm going to make an assumption. I don't think the Sazerac was a great fit for your personality, Basil. You're very no, creative. definitely not. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, talk to me about your experiences with that as well. Just um, I mean, I I look at it from an outsider's perspective. Sazerac strikes me very much as a boys club. It seems very It was a boys club. Well. I got I got along very well with the people I worked with. Um we we had fun back there, but I definitely ha- I struggled with the corporate structure of it because I definitely come from smaller locally owned places and uh bartending somewhere with an HR department is a completely different ball game. Yeah. So you ended up at Tonique after that, right? That's yes. the job that you left. And I feel that that is, that's great because I feel that that job helped you establish yourself as probably a more comfortable place for you to work in some place that. Was- oh yeah. It was definitely much more my style and was the kind of the job I wanted from the minute I came to the city. It was the bar I hung out at all the time. Um, and it, it was, it was perfect for me because it was cocktails, but it was also a very like casual, casual neighborhood vibe. So it had kind of the vibe I was used to from the bars I'd worked in previously, but I also mm-hmm. got to let out my cocktail nerd. And you were, you were at Tonique for a, at least what, two and a, two and a half, three years? You had a good run there. About three and a half years. Why yeah. did you end up leaving Tonique? Um, well, mainly because, uh, I started working for a brand job, so I'd cut down my hours a bit, and then we were opening El Libre in the quarter. So that was kind of the, I wanted to, wanted to try something new. Um, sure. I didn't feel challenged anymore at Tonique. Yeah, no, that, that'll happen with the, that is the, that is the double-edged sword for a, a neighborhood place, I think, as well, too, yes. is that like, you know, it, it is comfortable, it fits you really well, but in the same vein, sometimes it's not going to challenge you a ton. Uh, so Cole, let's throw it over your way a little bit as well too. So oh, hey. yeah, so your first uh, your first bartending gig in the city, if I'm not mistaken, was Commander's Palace. Yeah, most and- of my I had done a little bit of fine dining bartending back in DC, and then I moved here. I did a year of volunteer work, and I just happened to live across the street from Commander's Palace. So I, I put in an application over there, and they were still in a recovery mode after the storm. They were closed for about a year and a half after the storm, and they were still in very much like we just need bodies. Mm-hmm. So despite my relative lack of experience, I was able to walk in basically get a job 
immediately. But it's not, it's, they're not exactly desirable bartending jobs for people with a ton of experience, but it's a great place to learn the craft because sure. it's, it's high volume, but also a lot of attention to detail. So you had to be fast, you had to be efficient, and you had to be good. There wasn't any sacrificing one for the other. What would you say was the impetus for you wanting to leave uh, Commander's Palace for Coquette? I left Commanders for Loa first, so I did a year. Really? At Loa. Yeah, I did a year I had Loa no behind idea. the bar yeah. there. Yeah. The All Star. If you put like all the people who worked at Loa I, together, it's I, probably I, the I, best bar staff ever assembled, <laughs> but they never worked with each other at the same time. Yeah, it's true. I feel like Tonique and Loa, like between, between those the, two, yeah. you pretty Every much cover bar, all everywhere. the old school bartenders yeah. in New Orleans. Um, I have I, I have worked at neither location. I was <laughs> I left Commanders because I wanted. I was mostly at command. There's no bar at Commanders where you can actually just go sit and have a drink. That was my biggest problem with that as as a, as a space. There's a as a if you're at the main bar, it's a belly up bar and it's exclusively a waiting space for people who have beaten the rest of their party or whose tables aren't ready when they arrive. And that's one of three bars. The other two bars, one's in the wine cellar and one's in a dish room upstairs. And I honestly think that the dish room bar upstairs became sort of my little piece of the rock and i, I used to hate it because it was you know it's hot and it's sweaty and you're you know just crammed in there next to the butcher <laughs> and it's, yeah. uh and it was it it, be, it was it almost became this like sisyphean like working brunch there you're doing up to 1200 covers for a single brunch shift and the upstairs bartender is responsible for five of the eight dining rooms mm-hmm. and it it Beginning of that year that I worked there was one of the like, oh, every, every Sunday was just dread, looming dread. And then by the end of it, it was like, no, this is my bar. This is my, uh, I'm going to do this. I'm going to kick ass every week. Everyone, I'm just going to have a great, I started getting a balloon. That was kind of the turning point for me. They did balloon bouquets every Sunday for brunch. Okay. And I would have one of the servers steal me a balloon to put on the front of the <laughs> bar in the dish room. And that started when I pivoted to, oh, in my mentality. Was that your Wilson? You know, you drew a smiley <laughs> face on it and Pretty talked much. to it. Yeah. You had a bloody hand bar on it too. I mean, it was- <laughs> yeah, just- <laughs> if you got a drink during that time, it's a bloody Mary handprint, but <laughs> more sanitary. But uh, yeah, I, I left because I wanted to be behind a bar where I could actually interact with the guests. Okay, so let's skip forward a little bit um, with your progression. I guess, um, do you feel that you, at this point in your life, would be creatively and professionally fulfilled if you didn't own your own bar? I don't know. It's hard to say. I've got the creative control here in a way that, you know, nobody, nobody can tell me that something's a bad idea. And sort of being the owner and sole proprietor of an establishment, I really have that autonomy uh, that, that few bartenders have. If, and most bartenders that own, even bartenders that own a bar, usually they're partners in the enterprise. So they have, you know, investors and other people that they're beholden to. And I don't know if I could feel as fulfilled in a different environment but it's been so long since i've owned this bar for six and a half almost seven years now mm-hmm. and so i it's it's hard for me to say but i can't i i, I know i wouldn't have the level of, of autonomy and control that i have here anywhere else that if i anywhere else at all and even if i open another bar it probably won't be as the sole proprietor but honestly part of me also like every every day i dream about just selling the bar and getting a job somewhere else where i the i'm not where the buck stops all so right. i think that that would be a relief in a lot of ways and and you know i'd be able to go home at night and not have to worry about what this next phone call means at two o'clock in the morning so uh jonathan with moving down to uh the south shore moving here to new orleans finally finally um uh, <laughs> uh I, I I imagine you probably established some goals for yourself. Uh, what were some of those goals upon initially moving to New Orleans? Yeah, um, it for me it had been an interesting segue because I had like uh, I had been able to do the cocktail apprentice program from the North Shore. I joined the USBG on the North Shore, so I was coming down for events, uh, getting to know bartenders uh, that way. 
Um, but yeah, definitely when I came down here, my ultimately my goal was because uh, I had been running programs up on the North Shore, and at that point when I moved down the South Shore, I was like, you know what, I would really rather just like kind of step back from being like the the head of the program and just kind of learn from someone. The, the job that actually got me to move down here was I worked at uh, Perlu with uh, Mark Shetler and um, Andrea Hemming and some other really amazing people. We had a, we had a really amazing uh, staff, and so I was really excited by that and thought it would be a great opportunity to learn from a bunch of people in the industry that I really respected uh, and in a, in a really unique space. And so uh, that was my kind of the thing that actually made me make that uh, transition. So Right on. How about for you, Basil? Mostly just really wanted to just learn as much as I could. Mm-hmm. Did you ever um, have any ambitions to like run your own place or eventually own your own bar? Um, I definitely, when I was younger, that was definitely an end goal. I'm not sure that that's a goal of mine anymore. Yeah, no, that's, that's I mean, a really having, good point. Having briefly... It's totally uh, overrated. <laughs> <laughs> having briefly stepped into kind of, you know, just partially owning a place... Um, and also just talking to so many people that have owned bars, most of the people I've talked to have told me that if you want money, owning a bar is not the route to it's go. A very slim margin. <laughs> um, but I do have, you know, I know I can't physically be behind a bar forever. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, my goals now, I don't really know what they are, but I I want to I want to learn more about wine and maybe maybe learn more about the other side of the industry working for Mm-hmm. Can we uh, talk a little bit about your, or do you want to talk a little bit about your El Libre experience? Because you already mentioned, you mentioned that both as a, as an ownership opportunity that you've had and as a, the reason you left Tonique. So it seems pretty relevant to your current situation, to, to put it lightly. It's definitely more, uh, more a project of the other people involved than me. I was a very, uh, I was a very small part of the, the ownership team in the beginning. And I think uh, I think we did a really, really great job with the space and the concept, but it was none of the ideas behind it were mine. None of it was my creative project. And I think that's kind of what drove me away from it is I didn't. You were sort of supporting someone else's vision. Exactly. That's that's really, uh, I think that's pretty relevant for most of us at the table at this point. I don't know if you've gone through that personally, Cole, but definitely. Um, and I think that's an issue for a lot of us is at this point as bartenders, we kind of get roped into these new openings and these projects. And like, you know, I feel like there's a hype man out there. Like, you know, you go to a job and someone's like, this place is going to be great. We're going to be doing this and that, 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 that. And we, we get swindled in a certain way to be <laughs> like, you know, to, to think that like, oh, this is that opportunity I've been looking for for a while. And I feel a lot of us. We are looking for that opportunity. A lot of us are kind of looking for a home or a bar that we're comfortable in or someplace that we can kind of be ourselves and grow and, and develop or that mentorship. Um, I don't know. I think that's uh, – you touched on this a little bit, Jonathan, but I think at the moment right now here in New Orleans, uh, we are, we're hurting for mentorship. Like um, we don't have – we have great people who have been great ambassadors for the city for a while, but like in some cities, you could really trace like you can really trace the uh, provenance of like this person worked for this person worked for this person. It's like these family trees of bartenders, and I'm not sure we have that here in New Orleans. I think we have. There are a few people that I would definitely consider to be somewhat mentors for me, but I don't. I definitely 
see what you mean, like compared to other cities. Mm-hmm. I don't think we have that same structure. But I mean, for me, we had I, I worked with Paul Gustings for a while. That was definitely <laughs> I hilarious and a lot of fun. And I definitely learned a lot from him. And then I think, you know, some of the you know, bartenders like Kim Patton Bragg and Chris mm-hmm. Hanna and people like that are definitely kind of blanket mentors of the city i think right yeah i mean i think that you can kind of break mentors at least for me like down into like two categories there's like the people who i just know in the industry and if i sit down at their bar or go out to lunch with them or have a conversation or ask for advice like i can definitely get that right and i think that that is an incredibly important thing to have Mm -hmm. but i do also think that there's another class where it's like it's your actual bar manager or you're someone that you directly work with. i think that's what doesn't just let yeah. you you know like if they see you doing something behind a bar that they may not necessarily like there's the people who will just you know let that slide and not say anything it's like oh well you know it's just what they do or someone who's like look in my opinion i actually think that it would be better if you did it this way or you handled this situation the right. other way and i mean i'm not really referring to anyone in particular here but i would say that there are a couple of bartenders in the city who i do think are actually incredible bartenders but i think as as a whole the community could work on being a better like mentor to other people i think we have an amazing support network network here and i think we're very open to to friendship and having colleagues 100 um the first time i met chris hannah i was scared to death of the man because i i mean like i got one of the things that got me into craft cocktails was um uh ted Hegg's book and you know hannah's named in that book twice so and i used to carry that book around and go to craft cocktail bars and like ask people this to make drinks vintage spirits and forgotten cocktails yes. yeah yeah so uh the first time i went into 75 i was like is chris here and like <laughs> you know this bald guy with a hannah name tags like that's me i'm like oh god i already messed up i'd never heard of him the first time i met him he was just a nice bartender yeah. behind yeah. the bar he was very helpful when i told him i was looking for work right for me, he, he was just uh, yeah I, I didn't know of his reputation before i met him he was just a friend of a friend's and he was sort of like a casual acquaintance but i, to, I did not realize yeah. he was an industry towering figure to jonathan's point with that as well um you know like I, I i have never had somebody in this industry in this market who has just been like who has been able to correct me or show yeah. me an example for something like that and just say like you know this is the right way to do this this is how you should do this yeah. there's been a lot of kind of figure it out on your own and a lot of people are really great cheerleaders at just being able to be there and like i i think that's a really positive thing in this in this community but also a little bit of a negative thing you yeah. know i um, mean i i definitely the one of the things that i hear the most contrasted about New Orleans compared to other markets is that people come down here and they speak about how open the bartending community is and how it's, it's tight, but not necessarily in a super clicky way. Um, and that it is just like very open and friendly. And then you look, and they talk about stories from their markets where bartenders are a lot more, uh, not, you know, welcoming and, and kind of the opposite of those things. So cool. Cool. All right. So we've been here in New Orleans for a little while. We've worked different jobs and everything like that. Um, the cycle perhaps is coming to an end and everything like that. Let's talk about, let's get into the crux of the matter, everything that we were here to talk about a little bit as well. Um, Why leave, are you leaving us? Leaving, leaving New Orleans. <laughs> so uh, let's let's start with you, Basil. Um, I think like a lot of people, I had a particularly bad 2016. <laughs> it was a very, uh, I think, rough year all around for many of us for different reasons, some of them personal, some of them political. Um, but I, I've been feeling a bit like there's not a whole 
lot of space for my career to grow here for a while and mostly in a creative and learning sense. Um, I feel like our, our bar scene here is kind of hit kind of a stagnant point where no one's really pushing the envelope or doing anything really new anymore. And part of the reason behind that is not because we're lacking the talent to do so. We have a lot of really great talent, but almost all of the new bars that open are attached to restaurants. Mm -hmm. We don't have a lot of just bars opening. And when you're attached to a restaurant, there's kind of a limit as to what you can do with the program because people buy different types of drinks when they're going out to eat than they would if they're in a place that's just focusing on cocktails. And it's really hard to really put the focus on the cocktail program Mm -hmm. at a restaurant, I think. Um, so that's definitely like one of the reasons professionally, like I want to go somewhere where I'm going to, where I'm going to learn more, Mm -hmm. um, where I'm moving Athens, Greece has one of the most incredible cocktail scenes I've experienced in recent history. They're really doing some really wild stuff. Mm -hmm. Cool. Uh, I think I could completely agree with your point too, with with like all the bars that people are going to work at now are in restaurants. It's easier to open uh, a bar in the city if it is a restaurant. The licensing is a lot easier than having a standalone bar. There's lots of uh, areas in the city at this point that have moratoriums. I think Magazine has a moratorium with no new bars being able to open up there. Like it's just the French city. Quarter. Also, you yeah. have to you yeah. have to buy CBD a liquor license district or yeah. or off of an existing business. Yeah, mm. and those bars for the most part are not going out of business, or they're not places you would be able to really open a place up without having deep pockets. A lot of those locations do have exceptions. I know that the CBD has exceptions. That you can if you can open a new bar without a bar closing, if you have a a gallery, a hotel, or a gym. I was going to say so. a super a super. I mean, hotel. I think yeah. I think there's some room in the gym bar market for competition. I really for think the, the, the Julia Street Noack. gallery scene should. You know, they pour a lot of free glasses of cheap wine during white linen night, but I think there's a real opportunity for somebody to just like just open a bar in the back yeah. of one of those galleries. I think it's it's crazy though with like um. So my brother's up in Nashville at this point, and money is flying in Nashville. Uh, Nashville, Charlotte, I've got some, like, you know, uh, a couple friends up there as well. Like, there's people who have money who want to invest in bars and bartenders. And I think that happens in other markets. Mm-hmm. That doesn't happen down here. Like, people no. want to invest in chefs. Yeah. And, like, you get yeah. looped into these projects with chefs. And yeah. um, granted for them, they're, I think chefs, everybody in this industry has those same insecurities. It's like, if you've been handed this project, you don't want a bar program to detract from your food and i don't think i think it's a very backwards mentality to have also people don't want to pay bartenders what they're worth to really do a really intensive creative cocktail program five dollars an hour plus the best shifts (laughs) (laughs) yeah i mean i think that just kind of speaks a little bit to some of the oversaturation in the market and the way that that can kind of reveal itself is that everyone is on a shoestring budget for the most part um, you, be, you know, and business is successful enough to keep the doors open, but you know, the, it's very few places that are actually constantly busy and, and doing well. And so it, you know, it makes it very easy to, uh, claim, you know, that you're too poor to be able to pay your bar manager a salary or, uh, you know, a livable hourly wage because you can always get, someone who's you know younger or greener who's you know there it's their first bar program who will do it for you know uh less because they want the opportunity and uh 
you know, that's a good thing and a bad thing, honestly. I mean, it's great for the person who just, you know, became into their own bar program for the first time and have that experience, but it's also tough for, you know, other people who are trying to make it as well. In a way, I mean, I, I've been saying this for, for quite a while at this point. We are our own worst enemies when it comes to that, unfortunately, um, because so many of us, you know, are looking for exposure that we give our services away for free. And, um, yeah. you know, the thing about it is, bartending is not the commodity making drinks isn't the commodity we are the commodity that we're selling it's our personalities it's our hard work and the effort that we put into things and i think devaluing that has been a massive problem in this industry where like you know somebody asked for a consultation in this market and you're like um i I had a major brand a couple weeks ago uh asked for me to do uh come up with a signature cocktail for an event that they were doing a big big brand (laughs) global brand and I was like, okay, excellent. Here's my rates and everything like that. And they said, well, um, you know, we're going to feature you very heavily. And we were thinking about getting you on TV. And it's just like, I'm just too old for that at this point. Like, I just, no, I'm not, I'm, I'm, somebody will jump on that. Unfortunately, somebody will jump on that instead of saying, uh, instead of holding people accountable and demanding the money that is really like necessary. So, uh, Jonathan, um, with, uh, uh, your experiences in the New Orleans market at this point too. Uh, what are some of the things? What are some of the reasons you're moving? Um, you know, obviously, a decision to move is a is a really complex one. There's a lot of different factors that go into it. I mean, definitely for myself, uh, I've moved around. You know, basically every six years of my life or so, even from when I was a kid with my parents. So at a certain point, like. Uh, mechanism goes off in my brain and i kind of start you know to wonder about the what's over the next hill or whatever but also um you know in addition to that it the the seasonality is extremely difficult i mean you know especially for me like i really enjoy travel Uh, i think that's one of the best things about the bartending uh career is that you can theoretically do it anywhere you can you know it opens up a lot of opportunities for you that wouldn't be able to get otherwise and as such uh it's to work in a market where it's going to be dead half of the year and extremely busy half of the year you're kind of screwed either way because you can't really afford to go anywhere when you're not making any money um, but then you also don't want to miss any time when you're actually making all of your money for the whole year. And so that like yo-yo effect. And there are obviously like certain places in town that are immune to that or not necessarily immune, but more immune to it. Um, but you know, it's a huge factor. And yeah, also I, you know, it's always, I want to be challenged and I definitely want to feel like I'm growing in my career because that's very important to me. And, you know, to a certain degree, some of that has to be, you know, uh, in interior it has to be inside you like you have to find ways to do that for yourself but also you know it is definitely true that there are opportunities out there that can give you that uh as well or help you on that journey and i just definitely don't feel like there's a lot of that going on uh in town right now and it's obviously going to continue to roll the dice and you know wait for the next opening that you hope is going to be something really special uh or you know, you just kind of keep hoping that one of the places that you'd really like to work just magically has an opening and, you know, you get there at the right time and you talk to the dude when someone else is just leaving and you get in that kind of like rotating chairs um, dynamic or, you know, just kind of mix it up. Do so. you feel that Detroit, which is where yeah. you're removing, 
what what opportunities do you think exist in Detroit that don't exist in New Orleans? Why why do you feel like that will be? Is it just that you you're you will be new there, so everything sort of will be fresh and vibrant again in your in your mind's eye, or or is there something specific about the Detroit landscape that's attractive to you? Well, the things that were that have specifically attracted me to it, the job that um that I'm going to be going and working over there. Uh, I do think has the potential to be a really cool, uh, interesting project. Um, I'm also, after doing enough openings, I am very aware that I'm not going to make the mistake and be like, it's going to be like the best thing ever and it's going to magically <laughs> solve all my problems. I can't wait. Um, but in addition to the actual project itself, uh, you know, obviously some of the same appeal here in terms of just like being able to live you know relatively affordably uh in a market um even though that's obviously rapidly changing in in new orleans um and then also the prospect for travel and being able to live in a hub for travel like detroit to make it you know a lot easier to go somewhere like chicago you know go somewhere like new york uh or whatever it's just a little bit more accessible uh for me in my mind um and yeah this is also more of a smaller emerging market and so obviously you know we'll see what it's like when i get there but i do kind of hope that i can be you know someone who contributes to that in in a big way so yeah um so i think both of you guys are really excellent bartenders and um you know for me I've gone through a severe amount of depression in the last couple of years and everything like that. And I feel that, like, you know, me personally, I've contributed to this market a lot. And I can say with a lot of confidence at this point that, like, one of the things that bums me out a little bit is kind of a little bit of a lack of recognition. I mean, I think that's a very blunt way to put it and everything like that. But, like, you know, being kind of recognized as somebody who is you know, vital in this community. And I, I definitely think you guys are two very vital people in this community. I don't know if people tell you that on a regular basis, oh, yeah. but, but I mean, like, you know, um, the people who I really embrace and I think that are like, you know, very important in this community. Um, it's not a large group of people. Um, you know, it's always open to a lot of people to join it and everything like that. But, you know, we definitely have our, uh, our, uh, our kind of transient culture here in New Orleans of people who who go through you know I wouldn't ha be having this conversation with some people who you know, spent like six months here or a year here you guys spent very formative years of your lives here in New Orleans yeah, so, very much so um do you feel at some point though that uh you haven't gotten your proper dues here in New Orleans I mean that's somewhat you know the million dollar question I guess I mean I think if I if I, you know, strapped to a lie detector, I'd say that I probably feel a little burned by New Orleans. But, you know, I think a lot of that comes from when you really love something and you feel like it lets you down a little bit, it, you know, it hurts a little bit more. You know, if it was just another city that I didn't really care about or, you know, I would just knock the dust off of my feet and move on. And I definitely don't feel that way about New Orleans. I, you know, I really wanted to try to, you know, create something here and, and really, you know, saw this as like a long-term home. And ultimately, I still do in some respects. I, you know, will definitely be back to visit and, you know, obviously would never close the door to returning. But I do definitely feel like, obviously, some of it is just luck. Some of it is, you know, maybe things that I, you know, had to learn as a professional for myself and I had to do that. But I definitely do feel like a yeah, it was uh, burned a little bit by, uh, scorned by a lover to a certain degree. <laughs> I think that's a difficult question for me to answer because... Oh, it's supposed my, to be a difficult question. <laughs> well, because my previous experience bartending in other cities, my bartending in other cities was not a career. 
Bartending did not become a realistic career for me until I moved to New Orleans. Um, so I don't really have a basis of comparison um, for other cities. So I don't know if this is a New Orleans problem or if this is an industry problem. Um, that's a good question. That's that's a really. But good I point. definitely do think that there, in some regards, has been a lack of recognition, and I also feel like there's been definitely in our industry there's a problem with uh, women getting the same opportunities as men. Mm-hmm. Now that's you know a whole other beast right mm-hmm. there. Well, I think a, a large portion of that as well too is that. Um, when there are specific examples of women and minorities who have succeeded in the market as well, there's so much concentration on the few individuals who have done really well that it kind of excludes the struggle for a lot of people as well. Um, you know, everybody could point to, you know, very successful women in this industry, but just because there's a couple people who have, who have really thrived and are doing very well. It doesn't mean that, like, systematically things are good for every single woman. And if you industry. look at percentage-wise, like, the, the number of very successful women in this industry compared to the number very of small. very successful men in this industry, is, there's a very large gap there. Mm-hmm. I really think that the landscape here has changed a lot in the last few years. So when I started doing cocktail bartending in New Orleans, that was almost 10 years ago, and there just wasn't a whole lot here. Cure hadn't opened yet. Uh, Tanique hadn't opened yet. There just wasn't much of a scene yet. So anyone who was doing anything with cocktails was immediately sort of embraced by the local, by the local media, was given all the opportunities that you could get during Tales of the Toddy, for example. Like anyone was just seen as like, just incredibly valuable to the community. And then a lot of people have moved here since then and you know that the every restaurant needs a cocktail program every there's there're more and more bars that stand alone with cocktail programs and it's a much more it's much harder now to be recognized in the scene than it was when I started and I don't know if my career path would have been the same if I'd moved here 3 or 4 years later that if if there had there was a lot of room for newcomers and for new uh, cocktail programs generally that they're just there's it's such more it's much more crowded now than it used to be so that that landscape is so different than than it was when i was starting out and i like i said i don't, I don't know that i would have been able to establish myself so by the time the scene was really starting to blow up a couple of years later i was already fairly well established mm. and i think that gave me a bit of a leg up on some of the the competition in the community to 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 build an identity professionally in the cocktail world here yeah i mean also i'd say speaking a little bit more of like a national picture it does also seem to me that there's kind of a reshuffling of of people kind of all over the place you know it's like i know several new york bartenders who are moving out west to like detroit or seattle uh uh, Jossie from Chicago is in Seattle now. It definitely kind of seems like there's a little bit of a shuffling of some people from larger markets to maybe some smaller markets. Um, and then obviously everybody moves to Chicago too. So we're all, we're all going to end up living in Chicago at one point. Not me. It's cold there. <laughs> I don't think it gets cold in Greece, right? Uh, they actually had a fair bit of snow this year. A fair mm. bit of snow. Yeah. It snows in Greece. It's I snow. have no idea. What do you say? You can ask Cole from uh from trivia nights. I am completely uh geography. I don't know. Deaf. I don't know. I don't. Ignorant? I have no idea. It's ignorant. Not, it's... Ignorant. That's the word I was looking for. <laughs> I was looking for the. Thank you, Jonathan. I am ignorant. Thank you. <laughs> not your strongest category. Yeah. 
Um, cool. Um, so uh, we all know the song, of course. Uh, Basil, what is the one thing you will miss most about New Orleans? Hmm. Nature. The nature? Mm-hmm. Okay. The oak trees in City Park. I think that's the thing I'll miss the most. Hmm. Yeah. I would miss City Park a lot. That's one of my big things for living in Mid-City is I, I love City Park so much. And I, I love just being able to go there by myself and get lost yeah. and always be able to find something in City Park that I haven't seen before. Um, I think it's such a beautiful resource. Yeah, I'll, I'll go there just to, to walk around and clear my head and relax. Yeah, I feel that um, with New Orleans as well, with being such a small market, um, you get a little bit claustrophobic down here as well, too. I think that the opportunity to really center yourself and to kind of like just be alone, um, like it's 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 very weird because it's it's this odd balance of I feel there's a lot of loneliness in the city and there's like a lot of opportunities not to really be alone. Does that make sense? I mean, uh, definitely. Yeah. There's always something going on. Yeah. Somebody listening right now is like that pretentious I asshole. Mean, <laughs> <laughs> the bars never close. So there is always a place that you can be alone around other people, you know, possibly it just, hmm. that's, that's always a, a bit of a thing that's weird as well too. Like, you know, Abigail, she's a big proponent of the whole third space philosophy about having a third space. And more and more, I just think that our third spaces in new Orleans are bars you know 100%. and sometimes like i'm getting to the point in my life where i just don't want to spend all my free time like when i was like, younger like i wanted to spend my free time in bars you know that's where you know, the people i wanted to hang out with are and everything like that but now i find myself really craving these like social interactions or like you know this opportunity to like relax and not be at home that's not a bar yeah. that I, doesn't involve drinking i yeah. abs 100 agree yeah and that's um, something that i struggle with a lot because i don't I'm not really a late night person anymore. I don't really drink as much as I used to. I don't really want to drink as much as I used to. Yeah. I mean, for me, like, and I, I we could talk about this to, to lengths. I really think it's em- embracing your hobbies and really like, you know, finding hobbies that'll support you and be that proper outlet for you and help to center you and also provide kind of that third space interaction. Board games have been obviously my, <laughs> my big thing for that. And, um, you know, it does seem like it's a hobby. It's something that, like, you know, I don't think people will take seriously. But I'll say, like, with my my struggles with just depression and, like, you know, the, the things that I personally have to, like, internalize a lot. Like, just being able to sit down with, like, a couple people and just have, like, a very solid, structured interaction is, um, it's really good for me. Um, yeah. Is your art like that for you, Basil? My art definitely helps a lot. But I've definitely found, especially recently... It's been really hard for me to find time to work on my art mm-hmm. alone. I live with two other people. Mm-hmm. Um, I, it's not something I can do in my room. I don't have the, the space to paint in there. Mm-hmm. So, and it's not something I can do when other people are around. It's a right. very personal thing. So I get maybe one day a week where I can find time to be alone at yeah. the house and, and work on some art and really looking forward to living alone yeah for the first time in my life is it uh how, how annoying is it as an artist if somebody walks up to you while you're in the middle of painting and they're like they're like oh that looks pretty good that's <laughs> pretty damn annoying yeah right? <laughs> it's like it's not done idiot <laughs> all right mr shock what is the thing that you will miss most about new orleans 
I would say for me, uh, one of the things that I, one of the first things I fell in love with New Orleans, and I still definitely feel this way to this day, is there is a certain amount of magic uh, in the streets and in the air that you really, it's hard to define, but, you know, it could be anything from, you know, walking around the corner one night and coming across a Mardi Gras Indian or just coming upon a, a party that just is happening somewhere or, you know, it's just, there's real, you know, there's a real just presence in the streets, like, especially just like walking around the French Quarter, like the, the history of, you know, just the actual pavement that you're walking on uh, is something that I find to be really incredible. And I grew up mainly on the West Coast. I lived all over the place, but this is like the first place that I lived in that I felt like really had like a history and a soul in a really powerful way. Yeah. And uh, that is uh, something that I, you know, will very much miss. So, uh, Cole, I, I'm interested as well. I, I left New Orleans for a short period of time and found myself back pretty quickly. Um, have you ever been to a point in your life, in your career, where you were like, okay, you know what? I'm, I'm done. I'm going to give it. I'm, I'm, next month, I'm gone. I'm just going to pack it up and leave. I should, there were times early in my bartending. When I started bartending, I never expected it to become a career. It was just something I was doing. I had some aptitude for it, but it was, I was looking for other, you know, what I, what people use air quotes to describe as real jobs uh, in in a sort of education or sort of in the nonprofit world, and then I eventually leaned a little bit harder into the bartending as a career opportunity. But there were definitely periods early on where I was always looking for an out, and I really never expected to stay in New Orleans as long as I did. I moved down here. Uh, expecting to do a year of community service work and then move back to DC. And then at the end of it, I just decided I liked it here. I was going to stick around for a little while longer. And then slowly over the next few years, I accumulated a business and a home and a wife who's from here and her whole family's here. And we're going to start a family here. And it's becoming increasingly less likely that I'm ever going to leave. But it was never sort of planned. It was never a lifestyle choice. I always expected to leave and it just sort of never happened. But at this point, I don't see why I really would. <laughs> All right. Uh, well, let's uh, final thoughts here and everything like that. Basil, um, what what else do you have to say? What is in summation, like you know, in the total time you've been in New Orleans, you know, parting shot for the most part. Good advice for people thinking about moving down here. What a uh, what what would be your last word on the matter? I mean, I would say that um, if you're going to move to New Orleans, I think it's really important to embrace the local New Orleans culture because I think we get we've gotten more and more people here recently that do not embrace that culture and because of that the overall vibe of the city is changing it's no longer as unique as it was when I got here mm. because there it's just you know it's been the culture has been watered down a bit by a lot of people that don't embrace it so come here because it's amazing and has amazing culture and history and embrace that and take part of it yeah don't take up space. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's a big thing. Don't take up space. Like, you know, just accept it and be open to it. Mr. Shock, parting shots. Hey. Um, you, you know, honestly, for me, it's, you know, I look at the time that I spent here and I felt like I have grown so much as a person and as a bartender, um, you know, every every now and then like your Facebook memories or whatever pop up and like I'll see something from like four years ago when it's like I'm gonna go work at Gallagher's guys this is a this is a big step for me uh and to now like be able to have done uh, a lot of the things I was able to do here I'm uh, incredibly 
grateful and uh, fortunate. But uh, yeah, it's time to on to the next chapter. You know? Do you think you, like five years ago, and definitely this would be the case for me, do you think you five years ago would be looking at you and be like, what are you complaining about? <laughs> yeah, no, totally. I mean, that's always the thing. It's, it's you know, there's always that sense of, of more, you know what I mean? It's like yeah. you, you're you on, you're on this journey and you can get so far, but you can still see, uh, you know, the horizon and places you'd like to go. So mm-hmm. keep growing. Cole, what you got for us? Final shots? Um... I do think there's room for people to move here and sort of change the city without undermining what makes it great. Like there is room to improve the way the city operates in a lot of ways. They're, they're, they're what, sort of playing off of what Steve was saying earlier about how this is in a lot of ways a very sort of difficult city to live in. There, there are a thousand things, I'm just quoting a friend loosely, but there are a thousand things that make New Orleans a very hard place to live. And you look at the crime, litter, uh, lack of municipal services, dysfunction, corruption, uh, and there are maybe a half a dozen things that make New Orleans a great place to live. But somehow, the thousand things that make it a hard place to live are outweighed for me by the half dozen or so things that make it a great place to live. That's still unbalanced. It's a great place to live. And I, I'm not going anywhere anytime soon. I'll tell you that much. Right on. Right on. So, um, I, uh, this is, this has uh, been really great, guys. I really appreciate you, Jonathan and Basil and uh, Cole, as always, my, my intrepid host. Thank you for joining <laughs> us today. Hey, happy um, to be here. As far as my final shots go, um, I want to thank everybody for listening. This has been a bit of a longer episode for us, and um, it's been very bar-centric. It's not something we want to really kind of do here on Around with Steve and Cole. Uh, we definitely want to kind of reach out to the community as a whole. But I think if you took the time to listen to what we had to say, I think what's really important is bartending at this point is very relevant to a lot of other industries and career paths. Um, I think that we as a generation right now are seeing a lot of very similar problems at the moment with, um, you know, the devaluing of ourselves with the services that we have to render as well, whether you're a graphic designer, whether you're an architect, uh, anybody who is in a field where they're creative and they have to put their self on the line as well too, seeking that approval, seeking that sense of home, seeking that fulfillment as well is something that we are all struggling with. And, you know, it's something that, you know, the quicker we can recognize it, the quicker we can address that as well too. I think that that really can help out with a lot of things. So um, a little bit of a heavier subject matter here. I'm sure we'll be back to some listicle with next week's episode. <laughs> yeah. Perhaps that's a little more lighthearted. But um, as always, thank you so much for listening. I'm Steve Yamada. I'm T. Cole Newton. We're joined here with Jonathan Shuck. Basil Zarinsky. This has been Around with Steve and Cole, and we'll catch you next week. Cheers. Thanks, everybody.